calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to The Stone Wolves, a galactic football league novella. Written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins. Performed by Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves is also available as a Kindle ebook from Amazon.com or as a full-length audiobook from Audible.com. To find links for those items, go to scottsigler.com slash thestonewolves, one word. Hello, junkies, and happy Thanksgiving. I am munching away on leftover turkey as we speak. It is fantastic. We have big news about t-shirts and our None More Black Friday sale. Big episode of the Stone Wolves coming up for you. Super fun stuff is revealed. But listen to my talkie talk and let me give you the info and then we will dive into it. First, our None More Black Friday sale. We have four Sigler hardcovers on sale. 15 bucks each signed and you can get them personalized. For your own collection, there is a light book two of the Generations trilogy and the eerily prophetic pandemic book three of the Infected trilogy. And for you and or as a great gift to spread Siglerism, the standalone hardcovers Ancestor and Nocturnal. A great way to spread the stank. Give an unstankified pal a signed hardcover of Ancestor and Nocturnal so they, too, can become a hopelessly addicted junkie. Because that's what friends do for friends. Go to scottsegler.com slash shop. Supplies are limited. As we get out of the retail inventory business, this is the last of our back stock books. When they're gone, they're gone. Note, these ship from us in San Diego, so international customers will have to pay the exorbitant international shipping rates. There is nothing we can do about that. But we can do something about shipping rates for t-shirts because hold your horses, GFL and Siglerism t-shirts are back, baby! We're relaunching the tees at scottsigler.com slash shop. And get this, those tees we had retired because we ran out, they are back! The original Orbiting Death shirt, back! Keep calm and run the plays that I call shirt, back! Toe Pirates, back! Wabash Wolf Pack, back, 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 back! And get this! Most non-U.S. customers now pay local shipping rates. We have followed the business practices of the big-time streamers and the YouTube stars and moved to a print-on-demand model for t-shirts. This lets the t-shirts be printed local to you, which eliminates most of the huge international shipping rates that have been such a pain in the ass. Kaboom! So check out the goods at scottsigler.com shop and see if anything strikes your fancy. Hardcovers, 15 bucks each while inventory lasts, and all the t-shirts are out of retirement and back in the lineup, baby. Let's get you caught up on the stone wolves. Then we're going to go make us a big old turkey sandwich. 
previously on The Stone Wolves. Killian has offered to give up the Oleran if the crew doesn't want to come with him on Fanaka's next job. To convince them, he's agreed to let Fanaka tell them of his past, a past he has kept hidden until now. Chapter 8 Ciphers and Codes Fanaka told what she knew. She knew a lot. Everything about Killian, basically, at least up until they'd parted ways 37 years earlier. She'd learned much about him before she'd recruited him into the guild. The rest she'd gleaned from hundreds of hours, talking with Killian while on missions, or during combat prep, or in the long lulls where the Kurzatu waited for the next mission. Killian listened to her talk to the crew. He drank. He watched the crew's reactions. Zan knew everything already. Almost everything, anyway. Beans knew quite a bit. Aya knew almost nothing, so Killian watched her closest of all. Fanaka talked about Killian's privileged upbringing on Makovi. He'd been a one-percenter in a world of utter poverty, born to parents of wealth and station. His education in the Cooper School, hell, it had been so long ago, even he had forgot about the Cooper School, the premier undergrad facility for the nation's elite families. So, you're not just from the nation, Aya said. You're from McCovey. No wonder you's all gleamworm for Quentin Barnes and the Krakens. Killian tipped his bottle toward her in acknowledgement. If Fanaka knew that secret, he assumed she wouldn't reveal it to the crew. She did not. Either she was oblivious to it, loyal to Killian, or, most likely, she was saving that bit of knowledge for the time when it would benefit her most. Your time on Earth, Fanaka said to Killian. You're sure I can tell them about that? Her words seemed to roll around in his head. He was glad to be sitting down, because the beer buzz was really hitting home. Zan knew. Beans and Aya did not. Was it wise to share that secret with them? Would it put him and them in more potential danger? No, most likely not. It was so far in the past that not even the Union cared about it anymore. Probably. Go ahead, he said. Fanaka nodded, continued. She told the crew about Killian becoming a null knife for the Pierce Nation, then being shipped off to Earth on a deep cover mission. Something about hearing her tell his story brought back memories that he hadn't realized were still there. Entering university at Detroit Engineering Academy. Two years in school, building relationships and a track record as a planetary union citizen living on Earth. What a time that had been. Having grown up in the repressive Pyrrhus nation, he'd been blown away by the sinful openness of Earth. The art, the culture, the media, the parties, the girls. He'd lost himself in all of it. It was his mission, after all, to blend in, to become a Unionite. On orders, he'd intentionally flunked out of school, then signed up for the Union Navy. That was when Killian learned just how deeply nation spies were embedded in the Union military. He finished basic, served five months aboard a Hoyt-class tender, 
then found himself transferred to the most secret ship in the Union Navy, the PUV James Keeling. The Keeling, I said. The ship nicknamed the Crypt. That was real? I thought that was a conspiracy theory. Not like the borehole is a conspiracy theory. I mean, an actual conspiracy theory. A myth. How Killian wished it were. The Keeling was very real, Fanaka said. It was in several battles in the Third Galactic War. Killian had been distantly taking in everything Fanaka had said. She'd mentioned his service on the Keeling, but hadn't gone into specifics about what he'd done on that ship. Not even Fanaka knew those details. Some things he would never share with anyone. That doesn't add up, Skipper, Bean said. The Third Galactic War ended in 2589, almost a century ago. How old were you when you served on the Keeling? Killian ignored the question. It didn't matter. Even if you were only 20 when the war ended, Aya said, that would make you 117 years old. She stared at him. So did Beans. Skipper's age does not matter, Zan said. Humans frequently live that long, and even longer. Aya looked at the elephant face, but jerked a thumb toward Killian. Sure they do, Aya said, but they don't look like that. I mean, Skipper is old, but he looks 50 at most. How'd you do it, Skip? You regularly spend time with the de-aging sculptors in the League of Planets? His age. Killian didn't want to remember, and Aya didn't need to know. Something like that, he said. Better living through chemistry and technology. A stillness fell over the rumpus room. His crew had just learned he was over a century old. Then I guess you owning this artifact of a ship makes sense, I said. I had a hunch you might be a veteran, but I didn't think you were in some secret military operation. She had a strange look on her face. There's a lot you don't know about me, Killian said. I'm not hiding anything from you, Aya. It's, it's just, well, there's some things that aren't a part of me anymore. I did things that I just want to forget. She stared at him. She nodded a small, slow nod. I understand, she said. And with those words, Killian realized that Aya, too, had elements of her past she wanted to forget. But she was only twenty. How much could she have done? What could she have done? There was more to this young woman than her elite signals skills, even beyond her radcaster alter ego, Rara Avis. Killian knew he should find out what those things were, but the thought of prying into Aya's past exhausted him. She was a good crew member. So far, she'd proven to be skilled, reliable, trustworthy. That was all that mattered. If she wanted her past to be her past, then he, above all other people perhaps, could truly understand. Fanaka continued her story, telling what she knew of Killian's time aboard the Keeling, which wasn't all that much. She moved on to sharing key elements of his time in the Zoroastrian Guild with her, Redwire, Lulls, and Recoil, but Killian lost the thread. 
She dredged up his time on the crypt, and he couldn't shake the memories. Secrets had been born on that nightmare ship. Secrets had died there. His stint on the keeling had changed him. Two years of untold horrors. Two years of watching friends die. Two years of war. Two years bathed in blood. Somewhere during that time, Killian Mahmoud Carbonaro had found his true calling. He came aboard the Keeling as a spy. By the time he left, he was a living weapon, someone his superior sent when they needed to inflict heavy damage. Killian became a killing machine. Faster, stronger, more durable, able to heal quickly. Reflexes off the charts. And the real prize, his inexplicable combat talent of predicting who was going to be where, when they would arrive at that point, where they would shoot, and how they would react when shot at. That ability, still top secret, no doubt. Just like everything else about the Keeling. Did records about it even exist anymore? Or had the Union destroyed them, tried to make hundreds of war crimes vanish forever? Killian completed his term in the Union Navy. His null-knife handlers wanted him to re-up, but he'd refused. Resigned from the nation military as well. He'd spent the next few years wandering the galaxy. Drinking, exploring, trying to block out the things he'd done. Until his parents had cut him off. Hunger drove him to find a job. He'd signed on with Captain Patrice Jornel, gone to work as a deckhand on the Oleron. So many years aboard this ship. He'd fallen in love with the isolation that outer space provided, and with the tight bonds forged between lifelong spacers. He'd risen through the ship's ranks to become Jornel's XO. When she died, she left the ship to him. He'd continued on and, for a time, had been actually happy. Shipping and smuggling made for a hand-to-mouth living, but he rarely had to hurt anyone. Then the bats came. The takeover and the atrocities that went with it. Killian came back to the moment, listened to Fanaka talk about their time together in the Guild. She made their efforts sound heroic. Whether you're a terrorist or a freedom fighter, after all, depends on whether your people are killed or your people do the killing. Fanaka told the crew about Druge Thorn and the events on Laramie 3. About how she'd been kidnapped and tortured. About how Killian had gone all action hero and saved her, despite the impossible odds stacked against him. She made that sound heroic too, but Killian had been there. He knew better. Fanaka's description of when he left the guild was surprisingly kind. She told the crew about how he went back to Makobi, how he married Constance and started a family. And there, Fanaka stopped her tale. She thought that was enough, perhaps. One might say she left out the good parts. She didn't share why Thorne had wanted revenge. By the time Killian had returned to Makobi, his parents had been long dead. Constance and the kids became his whole world. He'd been happy possibly the happiest he'd ever been. Then, Thorn 
had tracked him down. Desperate to protect his wife and four children, Killian had spent what remained of his family's fortune to give his family new names, new identities. Then he'd made a huge show of taking the Oleron and fleeing McCovey for good. To this day, some 25 years later, he'd never been back. His plan had worked. His family had survived. For a little while, anyway. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. Killian, wake up. His eyes fluttered open. A yellow elephant stared down at him. He sat up, almost spilled the full bottle of cold beer on himself as he did. Had he been asleep when he'd gotten that bottle? Must have been. Sleep drinking. It's only a problem if you can't stop. Fanaka had finished her tale. The crew was looking at him, waiting. Beans was more wide-eyed than ever. Aya looked horrified. Well, they had to learn the truth eventually. You were in the guild, Beans said. You and Fanaka were terrorists. File Beans under the his people were killed category, perhaps. Call it what you will, Fanaka said. Aya shook her head. I call it what it is. The Krizatu? I heard about you guys. You blew up that bat shipyard. Our fame precedes us, Fanaka said. Bean stirred on the couch, his body unfurling a little bit. Killian saw his middle legs twitching, a sign of nervousness. On the tarmac, Fanaka called you killer, Bean said. That wasn't just a shortening of your name, Skipper? Killian shook his head. Killer, Aya said. The killer was supposedly one of the agents in the Krizatu. Skipper, that's you? That expression on her face. Astonishment, maybe a little bit of horror. Yes, I'm him. No one spoke for a long while. Thirteen hells, Skipper, Bean said. 
I knew you were laying low. Big shocker, we all are, yep, yep. But I didn't know you were some kind of a super soldier. Killian turned the beer bottle in his hands. It was already warming up. The seal of his past had been broken. How much could he reveal? Not all of it, certainly. There were parts he didn't remember because he'd blocked them out, because he still couldn't process the things he'd done. But now that the crew had learned who he'd been, this was one of those situations where knowing too little could be just as devastating as knowing too much. He had to let them know what they were dealing with. I wasn't a super soldier, he said. I was a, I was a monster. I still have urges, I guess you'd call them. Urges toward violence. I take drugs to rein me in. They dull everything, including my senses, my strength, my speed, the things that let my violent nature have free reign. I only get glimmers of those urges now, and I ignore them every time. Every time I can is what he wanted to say, but he was ashamed of the horrid creature he'd been, the horrid creature that, deep down, he still was and would always be. He took a sip of beer. It seemed flat, tasteless. You knew. You knew who Skipper is. The elephant's ears and trunk flopped as Zan's Schmeck nodded. I knew. Not all of it, but enough. Fanaka leaned back in her seat, steepled her fingers. The Kretorakian Empire wants Killian dead, she said. And so does much of the Guild. Maybe Killer here isn't the most wanted sentient in the galaxy, but he should be. Beans's fur fluffed out, fell back. He wishes. That claim is mine. Actually, I am certain I own that dubious honor, Zan said. I know several billion Sklorna want you dead, Beans, but you don't have an entire government out to kill you. Aya's eyes narrowed. Which government would that be, exactly? It does not matter, Zan said. Aya leaned back in her chair. You're all marked for death? Hell. I thought it was just me. Welcome to the party, pal, Bean said. Killian wondered if I would figure out that her death sentence was one of the reasons the crew had agreed to rescue her in the first place. The Oleran was a haven for the not-so-falsely-accused. If anyone wants out, I understand, Killian said. And you too, Beans. I won't stop you from leaving. Beans's tiny body vibrated madly, and his fur stood on end. He looked like a quivering puffball. He was laughing. There was something particularly derisive about a male Sklorno laughing at you. Maybe it was because they were small enough to squash with a single foot stomp and didn't seem to care, or maybe it was because every last gram of them was part of it. That's a good one, Skipper, the Sklorno said. Leave the safest place in the galaxy for me, where I get to play with all my refrigerators, because you killed a few thousand sentient beings? No thanks. Killian didn't bother asking Zan. He'd given her the chance to get out long ago. Zan had stuck. Zan 
always stuck. Aya stared at him. Not a mark on her flawless amethyst skin, not a crease or a crinkle. So young. I haven't decided if I'm staying or leaving, she said. What's the job? Then we can all decide if we're in or out. Killian smirked. Smart answer. If she did stay on, she'd fit in here just fine. He turned to Fanaka, motioned for her to explain. There were five of us in the Krizatu, she said. The operative red wire is the one Killian and I will spring from the borehole. He was arrested nine standard weeks ago. He hasn't been heard from since. Aya crossed her arms. I haven't seen anything on the news or the dark waves about the Empire apprehending a Zoroastrian guild member called Redwire. That's because the Empire doesn't realize who the sentient really is, Fanaka said. If they had any inkling he was with our old crew, he'd be dead by now. They arrested him because he was using his GFL diplomatic immunity to move information across the galaxy. G.F.L., Bean said. His voice trembled. And you said, you, you, you said they arrested him nine weeks ago? Killian rubbed the bridge of his nose. He should have realized how big this news would be to Beans. Maybe it was time to dial the Nazdor back a bit. That's correct, Fanaka said. Nine weeks. Bean stood up on the couch, his tentacles, raspers, and middle arms all flailing wildly. Is Redwire actually his benevolent milkiness, Yitzhak Goldman? Aya snapped her fingers as if remembering something that had eluded her. Gold man, she said. That's it. Beans fell off the couch, bounced off the coffee table, and lay on the floor, trembling. I knew his milkiness was not injured. I knew I knew blessed be his underappreciated gridiron powers. Blessed be his piety. We must rescue him. Now, 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 now we must rescue him. I pointed down at Beans. Uh, I think he's in. Fanaka shook her head. Killer, she said, looking at him like he was dumber than a bulkhead. When were you going to tell me one of your crew worships Redwire? Thirty-seven years on, yet that particular expression of hers hadn't changed. Hey, you got one yes vote, he said. Learn how to take the win. Blessed be his benevolent milkiness, his ever-flowing good humor and luck. May he suits his angelic wife, Ava, and their sons of God, falsely accused, false witness against the Milky One. May he return to the INF Krakens and to the glory of the Gridiron forever and ever and ever. I gold men. Zan skinny Schmeck stepped to the trembling Sklorno and picked him up. The Schmeck sat on the couch and cradled beans like a baby. The Kretorakians do not know Goldman is Redwire, Zan said to Fanaka. But they still put him in a dark prison and made him vanish. Exactly what kind of information was he dealing in? The room stilled again. Killian felt a grayness in his head. He must have asked Fanaka that same question. He must have. But he couldn't remember the answer. Or 
Was it possible he'd brought Fanaka here without even asking her about the little detail of why Redwire had been nabbed? He looked at the bottle in his hand. Maybe he needed to cut back on Nasdor and beer. There is a split in the guild, Fanaka said. The original operatives, like Killer and me, are focused on military operations trying to damage the Kretorakian's ability to control so many systems. The other part of the guild, the newer part, the members of that are the ones responsible for all the attacks on civilian targets. Have any of you heard of the Vermada? No, Zan said. Neither have I, Bean said, his words still ragged. Aya's face turned to purple so deep it was almost black. I have, she said, her words a whisper. On the dark waves, they are bad news. Fanaka took a breath, then whispered something in key. Peaches stood up on four spider legs. The beat-up ball walked past the coffee table. With one of its split legs, it reached into Killian's cooler and pulled a beer from the ice. The machine brought the bottle to Fanaka. She absently twisted it open. Everyone waited while she drank the whole bottle in one long pull. She set the bottle on the coffee table. There were so many beer bottle rings on the orange paint that hers would never be noticed. The Vermada is working on a weapon, she said. A big weapon. We don't know much, but from what we've gathered, it could be used against civilian populations. We're talking potentially millions of deaths. Like a nuke, Aya said. Fanaka shook her head. Not like a nuke. Bigger. Much bigger. Yitzhak Goldman was gathering information from different sources. Saving him could save lives. Let me venture a hypothesis, Zan said. Goldman is the only one who has this information, yes? Fanaka stood, began to pace. He was busted just after he sent an encrypted communique to a guild ally, she said. We don't know if the ally got the message, but we do know that even if the ally got the transmission, that ally can't do anything with the bulk of the information which had an encryption no one has been able to break. Only Yitzhak has the cipher to decrypt it, and that cipher is in his head. He memorized it, Aya said, and he's the only one who has it? That's stupid. Every working element in an operation should have a redundancy. Fanaka stopped pacing. Run for your life long enough, and you realize redundancies slow you down, she said. And they leave breadcrumbs for others to Hansel and Gretel your ass. Query, Zan said. What is a Hansel Gretel, and what existential threat does it pose to our various posteriors? Before Fanaka could reply, Beans crawled out of Zan's lap back onto the couch. He ruffled his black fur, making it puff to nearly twice its normal thickness. He did this when he wanted people to pay attention to what he was saying. 
I do not care about Hansel Gretel's ass, Bean said. There is only one ass that matters, and that ass is the ivory-white ass of a godling. Enough talk. We must vote. I vote yes to rescue his milkiness. Skipper, how do you vote? I vote yes, Killian said, instantly. I won't leave him behind. We fought together. He felt like an idiot the second he said it. We fought together. That hadn't been enough before, so why was it enough now? Maybe because Fanaka had called him out on his broken oath. Killian didn't look at her, but he could feel the accusing weight of her stare. Zan, Bean said, how do you vote? The Schmeck stood. I have not yet decided, she said. Perhaps we should more strongly consider that rescuing this human potentially empowers a terrorist organization to complete a devastating weapon that could be used on civilian targets. Fanaka shook her head. No, I told you he wants to stop that weapon from being used against civilians. I know what you told us, Zan said. What you say and the truth are not necessarily the same thing. Killian had to admit that Zan had a point. Fanaka had never been one to let the truth get in the way of an operation. And yet, he knew Yitzhak. People changed, yes, but not that much. Redwire wouldn't be a part of something like that, Killian said. Believe me, he would do everything in his power to stop the Vermada, not help it. Fanaka returned to her seat, placed her hands on her knees. Only Yitzhak has the cipher, she said. Only Yitzhak knows where the message was sent. The data that cipher unlocks could be holos, images, locations, schematics. It could be anything. If we don't get to him and find out what he knows, the Vermada can continue building the weapon. I don't want that weapon to be finished. Do any of you? She let the rhetorical question hang in the air. The Ponsky sisters, Zan said. Why do they want the cube? Why do they want the location of the prison? How did they find us? Are they part of the Vermada? Perhaps they were assigned to find the prison and kill Goldman. Fanaka frowned. I can't say for sure. Which explained the frown. If there was one thing the woman hated almost as much as the bats, it was not knowing. I doubt the Ponsky sisters are in the Vermada, she said. The Vermada doesn't have a lot of sentience. No one knows who is in charge or how many agents they have. What the Vermada does have, though, is money. So, yes, they could have hired the Ponskys, although I imagine there are better people to hire to hunt you down. As for how they found you, isn't it obvious? Yes, it was obvious although Killian hadn't made the connection until now. There has to be a tracker in the case, or in the cube itself, he said. All eyes turned to Aya. No way, she said, her amethyst face turning a deeper shade of purple. I checked it, and for all we know, 
they could have followed Fanaka. Fanaka was at Uzo Min, Zan said. But she was not at the Gans Prime Station. That means the case or the cube is the most likely method the Ponskis used to find us. Scan it again, Aya, with far more scrutiny this time. If you missed a tracker, that is a mistake that almost got us killed. The girl seemed to fold in on herself. Killian wanted to tell Zan to back off, but Zan was right. Tracker detection was the responsibility of comms. Zan didn't tolerate subpar performance among the crew, which was in no small part why Aya was the Ulrin's fifth comms specialist in the past four years. Sentience quit rather than put up with Zan's high expectations. Killian wondered if Aya would be the one to finally make the grade. If she missed things like a tracker and a data cube, though, probably not. The yellow elephant turned to Fanaka. Where did this cube come from? It nearly got us killed, Bean said. T-t-t-twice! Zan held up two metal fingers. Twice. Thank you, Beans. Interesting how we had to carry it and take the risk. Not you, Fanaka. No risk for you. Fanaka glared. Killian recognized that look, remembered how easily Fanaka could go from cool as the void to hot as a star. The cube contained the damned location of a secret Kredorakian prison, Fanaka said. You think I can just go to the local convenience store and buy that info? It took a lot of work and a lot of money to get those plans. No, elephant face, I couldn't carry it. If I had tried to pick it up myself, I would have been bagged. And I'll take a wild guess. The sentient who made the cube for me is dead. Otherwise, they would have just got the info on it from her. Another death. Always another death. Killian rose, or tried to. He lost his balance, sank back down. On his second attempt, he stood successfully. It doesn't matter, he said. We took the job, which means we took the risk. We can download whatever info's on that cube, then dump it between punches. This has gone on long enough. It's time to vote. Aya, Zan, you have to decide. Nervous, unsure, Aya licked her lips. The job is to break Yitzhak Goldman out of a secret prison, she said. I'm guessing this will be very dangerous, yes? How much time do we have to plan this? Obviously, it's dangerous, Fanaka said. And we'll have very little time. The Vermada is already looking for Redwire. Through guild channels, I found out he's in the borehole which means you can bet the Vermada will find out he's there if they haven't already. If the Vermada gets to him before we do, they'll kill him to protect their superweapon. We don't know if they know where the borehole is, but they have significant resources. We have to get to Redwire right away. Aya tucked her legs under her seat, sat cross-legged in the chair. It made her look even younger than she was, 
a child playing dangerous adult games. Very little time to plan a high-risk op, she said. Then I assume we have specs on area defenses, full schematics of the facility, traffic patterns for ships coming and going. You have a contact on the inside that can facilitate insertion and extraction. Who is it? What's the contact's background? How do we vet the advanced intel to ensure the mission parameters are achievable? The amethyst skin girl looked like a babe in the woods, but she was not. She talked like a seasoned spec ops controller. For someone so young, Aya knew her business. Tillian kept quiet. He'd given his word he would not tell the crew about Dr. Chalita Sakakorn. Revealing that information was Fanaka's choice to make. She made it. The contact's identity will remain a secret, Fanaka said. I know it. I've vetted it. I'm confident in the intel. God knows it cost enough. We have the information we need, defensive ship complement, sensor suite, central computer system, but we do not have facility schematics. Once we go in, the contact will meet us and tell us how to get Goldman out. A chill fell over the rumpus room. No schematics, Bean said. You want us to break into a prison and find out when we get there what needs to be done? Fanaka simply nodded. Humans are insane, Bean said. It's not speciesist when it's a fact. Killian couldn't argue, because the Sklorno was right. Humans were insane, especially humans who would do this mission. Traffic patterns, then, Aya said. Comings and goings and funnings and glowings. You have to have that, right? Fanaka waggled one hand left-right, left-right. Yes and no, she said. Small warships can come and go. There are occasional inspections, but those things are apparently rare. The borehole has a single ship called the Carcelero that does most of the supply runs and all of the prisoner transport both to and from the facility. We won't know if it's in dock until we arrive. If it's gone, we don't know when it will come back. Then there are six Isaacs that fly periodic patrols, mixed-race manufacture. Killian felt goosebumps on the back of his neck. Six Isaacs, he said. What models? Any hurrah made? Any hurrah pilots? For a ship like the Oleron, that particular combo was a death sentence. The best ships in the galaxy were the best pilots flying them. Intel doesn't identify specific craft, Fanaka said. We know all the pilots are bats. The Empire uses the borehole as kind of a training area. Pilots rotate in and out. Isaacs rotate in and out. It's a mixed bag of tech. Aya's face wrinkled. What in the void is an Isaac? Individual sentient attack craft, Killian said. Combat ships with only a pilot for crew. The purple skin girl's face wrinkled up even further. You mean fighter craft? High one's hairspray. If there's an actual word for something, why don't the two of you just use it? Killian sighed. I was lecturing him about using slang. Wonders never ceased. Fanaka, Zan said. 
you told us this information cost enough. So, you have money after all, yet you choose not to pay us. Fanaka snarled. Don't be naive. My contact is the linchpin of this entire mission. The price I paid is a hell of a lot more than what I'm paying you. Killian glanced at the holotank's time readout. One hour until they reached Lopu. Yes, there were heavy things afoot. Yes, he might now be involved in stopping a weapon that could kill millions. But there was something else that was, to him at least, just as shocking important. I want this decision made now, so we know our next course of action, he said. Aya, when we punch out at Lopu, you are to log the Galaxy Bowl broadcast, but block everything else. No news, no scores, no nothing. Just in case that Kretorakian destroyer extrapolated our route and is coming after us, we need to use our second punch drive as soon as possible and be gone before it arrives. We'll watch the game together while en route to our next destination. The newest crew member's face wrinkled in disbelief. You're worried about a game? Seriously? We can't rush the vote because of a game. We need to talk about this more. She thought the Galaxy Bowl was just a game. Killing had to remind himself that not everyone followed the Krakens the way he and Beans did. Maybe Killing was drunk, sure. Maybe this was the wrong time to force a decision of such importance, but he would not miss this moment. He would not let the game be spoiled. Not for anything. We vote now, he said. Zan, decide. If you're in, as soon as we reach Lopu, we're gathering the game's broadcast signal, then using the data cube's coordinates to set a course for the borehole. If you're out, Beans and I will go with Fanaka and her ship. You need to decide so Aya knows what her vote means. She's either on this mission with a full Oleran crew, on this mission with just Beans, Fanaka, and I, on the Oleran with just you, or on her own again. Aya shook her head, ever so slightly. The image of a young person realizing someone she respected, someone older and supposedly wiser, was impetuous and illogical. I don't need to wait for Zan's vote, she said. I'm in regardless. I have to at least make up for my data cube screw-up, right? She looked at Zan, probably hoping for a shred of encouragement. Zan ignored her. Your turn, Zan, Killian said. Decide. The schmeck was still for a moment. As if I would ever take this ship and leave you behind, Zan said. We are a crew, and you are the captain. As always, Skipper, where you lead, I follow. Ruffled feathers all around. He could try to smooth those out later. After the game. Let's get those coordinates dialed in, he said, and get ready for punch-out. You have been listening to The Stone Wolves, a GFL novella, written by Scott Sigler and J.C. Hutchins, performed by Scott Sigler. Follow Scott on Twitter and at Instagram, where he is at Scott Sigler, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. The Stone Wolves was directed by A. Sigler, engineered by Steve Rickyberg. 
Copyright 2021 Empty Set Entertainment. Theme music is the song Battle Cry by the band Super Weapon. five minutes. A transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.